If you're dealing with an emotionally abusive person in your life, visit my other podcast, loveandabuse.com. And if you discovered that perhaps you are the emotionally abusive one, start your healing lessons today over at healedbeing.com. Yep, I cover both sides of the issue and I'm doing my best to make sure everyone has a chance to heal. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani, and I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. So glad that you are here. How about those family problems? (laughs) Uh, I don't know about you, but I've had family problems. Fortunately, most of my family is fantastic or fam-tastic. And um, some of them I've had issues with. And I've not been able to address all my issues with all my family members uh, because I've been away from them for so long. I'm I'm like a thousand miles away from any relative that I've had any issue with. Um, I have a couple relatives here and there, but when we're close to family, when we see them and they have issues with us or they're dysfunctional or toxic in some way, it is helpful to have some sort of um, productive or resourceful response so we don't get sucked into the drama. I've had episodes on family and dealing with toxic family before, absolutely check them out over at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Type in the word toxic family or just the word family, and you'll see a few times where I've talked about family and dealing with family because family is something that's very difficult to avoid um, if you are trying to avoid them or are trying to get along or relate to them, and it's hard. Sometimes they're not the issue. Sometimes we are. (laughs) Sometimes I'm the issue because, well, I think if you're listening to this show, you are the issue if you don't want to take their crap. (laughs) So I'm giving you that uh, credit. You are the issue if you don't want to take their crap. That means that uh, if you took their crap, if you just submitted if you admitted that you were wrong when they told you you were wrong, if you just were submissive around them whenever they wanted to control you, then you would probably, I wouldn't say get along with your family better, but I think it would be easier for them and uh, debilitating to you, but also easier. That's definitely not my advice. (laughs) I don't want you to submit, give in, or just be someone that does anything that somebody else wants them to do. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that 
sometimes you are a problem because you're an independent thinker. You are maybe working on your mental health. You are improving yourself. You are becoming more emotionally intelligent or you are emotionally intelligent and the people around you, especially in family, aren't. And you're trying. You're trying to communicate with these people that make it very difficult to communicate with. And if they haven't gone through any introspection or reflection about their life, about how they're showing up, about their results, then you may have a difficult conversation with them. And they will make it more difficult because of their inability to process the way you do or think about things the way you do or just see a bigger picture of I would want a great relationship instead of I need to prove you wrong. That's kind of how I look at things. I would rather have a great relationship and even be wrong about something just to keep a great relationship with people that I love and I care about and only with those that I don't consider toxic. Like if there was a miscommunication with my mom, for example, I do not consider her toxic. I have a great relationship with my mom, but if she said something and I knew she was wrong and we had an argument about it, I would probably just let it go. I would probably just think to myself, it's not worth it. In the grand scheme of everything that exists, it's not worth fighting with my mom about because we do have a great relationship. So I might even say, Mom, you know, maybe you're right. I mean, that's one of my go-to comments. Maybe you're right. Maybe I haven't thought about this the whole way through. Maybe I need to consider everything that you've said, and I absolutely will. So I don't want this to interfere with our relationship. I'm going to think about that. Maybe you're right, and let's just go enjoy lunch. That would probably be what I would do with my mom. Now, with somebody else, I may not. I may say, you know, I disagree. I disagree with you, and I probably won't ever agree. But, <laughs> but you know, perhaps you have some points. I might even say maybe you're right. But it won't have the same feeling. I won't feel like um, repairing a relationship that I probably didn't care about in the first place. But I probably don't want conflict because, you know, dinner just started and there's other people in the room and it'll create a lot of tension. So I'll just let it go because one of the most important things I learned about any communication is the more attached you are to being right and wanting others to know that you're right and even wanting to prove them wrong, the harder life is with certain people especially. So with certain people, toxic people, dysfunctional people, or just difficult people, life seems to get easier when you're not so attached to proving a point. And if you let go of proving a point and just let them have their beliefs, let them believe whatever they want, who cares? You know, there might be things that affect you, sure, and you might have to address that, but there's a lot of things in the world that maybe you shouldn't have such an attachment to. I'm not saying that about everything. There are important topics. There are important matters in your life that you need to deal with, but some things just aren't worth arguing about. You don't have to argue about 
who that actor was in that movie. I know it was Robert Redford. I know it was. No, it wasn't. It was, I don't know, whoever. It was somebody else. It's really just letting go of your attachment to being right, which I think is a Buddhist concept. And when you do, you free yourself. It's so freeing. It's very related to what I'm going to talk about today, which is an email that I'm going to read you in the next segment. And it does involve letting go of your attachment to being right, uh, especially around family, but around anyone, really. Because when you know somebody else isn't going to change, what's the point of wasting any energy trying to convince them of something they don't believe? I prefer not trying to convince anyone. I mean, I'll present my case. And if they say, well, that's a bunch of BS and you're a liar and you're just trying to throw me off, I might just say, okay, you know, you can believe what you want. That's fine. I'll, I'll let it go. And that could even make them matter. I don't know. You know, it depends on the person. They might say, what? You're being flippant. You're being dismissive. You're being invalidating. You can't do that to me. We got to talk this through. We need closure. Okay, well, that could happen. And with those people... It's hard to imagine that they would want to talk about it. If somebody really is adamant about their point and you believe they're wrong about their point and they've done no self-improvement, no self-reflection, no introspection, they've done none of the working on themselves stuff, then it's highly unlikely they're going to say anything like, hey, let's talk more about this. Let's talk through it. Let's reach a conclusion because... It's not always about agreement. It's probably about forcing it down your throat until you believe it. And those people are difficult. So when we come back, I'm going to read you that email and we'll get into that and we'll see where we go with it. Be right back after this. All right, just a quick reminder, I told you at the beginning of the show, I handle both sides of emotional abuse. There are the emotionally abusive people, and then there are the recipients of emotional abuse. Sometimes I call them victims. I don't like to refer to anyone as a victim, but sometimes you really are being victimized. So sometimes it's important to see that if it's happening to you. So this is just a quick message to let you know that I have two resources Uh, for both sides of this equation. You know, I started off with my Love and Abuse podcast back in, I started February 2019, and it has grown quite a bit because there are quite a lot of people in emotionally abusive relationships, and I get letters, I don't know, every day that tell me that they finally understand what's going on in their relationship. So that's the Love and Abuse podcast over at Love and Abuse. And if you are dealing with any type of difficulty in your relationship, check that out over there. And the other side of the equation is the person who is being emotionally abusive. Not all emotionally abusive people are bad people. In fact, I would say most of them aren't. Most of them are good people that do bad behavior. And then there are some jerks. (laughs) There are people that simply uh, will not treat you right, will lie to you, will betray you. And it's very important to understand the difference because the people that are willingly and consciously 
hurting you or betraying you or lying to you, they may not want to change. They may not change for you or anyone. So those people you may not have a chance to reconcile or fix things with. But there are so many other people that really do bad behavior and they either don't know it or they do know it but they can't stop it and they're trying to figure it out. And like I say in the Healed Being program, a lot of this bad behavior comes from old childhood survival and coping mechanisms that simply don't apply to today's reality, today's world. And, you know, we take these old beliefs and old coping mechanisms from childhood and we bring them into the adult world and then we try them out and then they turn into dysfunctions that are so not helpful. So not helpful. They just destroy relationships sometimes. And uh, I speak from experience. This is what I did to all my relationships. I destroyed them with, um, I mean, it sounds awful when I say it that way, but I really did a number on many of my relationships because of my emotionally abusive behavior. And it took a while and it took a lot of work to discover that about myself, to understand it, to realize I was doing this stuff. And then I healed from it and now I'm in the best relationship ever. And the best part is, I mean, there's a lot of best parts, but one of the best parts is I get to walk around without feeling emotionally triggered all the time. That's what I was. When I was an emotionally abusive person, I always felt triggered. There was always this burden, this weight that I carried around that uh, I needed to, to control the person I cared about or change them. And that has been lifted. It's gone. After it left, life became so much easier. I just feel free now. And so I share my journey in an article called um, My Healing Journey from Being the Emotional Abuser. In fact, if you type in the words healing journey from emotional abuse, you'll probably see it pop up in any browser as number two or three. So you'll see that. And um, you can also go to healedbeing.com and get the lessons I created. Just sign up for the emails and you'll get the first four lessons. And then you can opt in for the rest. It is a pay program, but it is some of the most comprehensive, most detailed content um, I've ever seen and I've ever written on the stuff and uh, it will help you stop the hurtful behavior and help you get in touch with the deeper parts of yourself that is connected to that hurtful behavior. So that's over at healedbeing.com. I wanted to let you know about both resources just in case you were in a relationship like that. There's usually a different sponsor in this spot, but I brought it up today because of the subject matter and I just wanted to give you that in case you need it. Loveandabuse.com, healedbeing.com. Check them out for you or someone you know and share either if you think somebody needs it. Now back to the show. Welcome back. Like I said, I'm going to read an email. I'm just going to get right into it and read the email because it's very related to the first segment. So let's see where we go. This person wrote, uh, you can call me Samantha if you read this on a podcast. I am calling you Samantha. <laughs> uh, you've probably already covered this, but I didn't see any specific episodes on what I was looking for advice on. So I wrote in a few months back, I have this narcissistic mom that I live with, and I'm not in a place to leave right now, but I'm wondering how I can stop looking for validation through her or expecting her to be the mother that I do not have. I don't feel like I'm looking for validation from her, however. My sister believes that I am. She says I'm constantly looking for validation. 
I'm honoring my boundaries and staying firm with things like saying no and not taking things personally. However, she likes to accuse us of things that aren't true, like stealing money and not being home long enough to meet her needs, which is basically just being in the same house. She is projecting issues from her relationship with her ex-boyfriend onto me, and I am constantly feeling hurt because of this. I have been working on myself for the past four years to try to recover from her abuse, but I can't seem to let it go. If I could pack my family and move, I would, but I honestly question whether or not she would be safe. My question is, how do I stop being so hurt by the things she says? Everything she says is often an attack or something laced with bad intentions. I don't know how to get to a point where I can just hear her say something and let it go right away. All right. Thank you, Samantha, for writing that. I'm sorry you're dealing with that. Um, there's a couple things right off that I want to address. If you were here, I would ask you when you said, if I could pack my family and move, I would, but I would honestly question whether or not she would be safe. Are you asking if your mom would be safe? And if that's the case, is it because of her boyfriend? Like you said, she's um, projecting problems that she has with her boyfriend. I'm going to assume that you are. I'm going to assume that you're talking about your mom. So I'll just think about it this way. So my answer is going to reflect that. The other thing that stood out is that you said at the top, you said, I'm not taking things personally. You probably know what I'm going to say <laughs> because what's happening is that it sounds like you're taking everything personally. And, um, you know, I don't, maybe there are specific things that you aren't taking personally, but it's definitely become personal for you or it has been personal for you and it hurts. So let me comment on one thing first. There are very few people, I, don't, I can't even name one person in my life or that I know that when somebody close to them, especially family, says something awful about them, that they don't take it personally and they aren't hurt and they don't stop thinking about it. There are very few people that can do that. If I heard that from someone in my family, my mom, my dad, if he were around, you know, if anyone said something awful about me, then it would affect me. In fact, I remember my stepfather, if you've not heard me talk about him, he's a scary, alcoholic, aggressive person. Um, he hit my mom a couple times. She was with him for 40 years, and um, the entire family went through some hellacious times with him. And so my mom's been divorced from him for years now. But I think a couple years back, he reached out to her, and he was asking for money, and he's been given money to... I don't know, somebody over the internet, a fake girlfriend in some other country. We all know he's getting scammed and he's just on top of the world thinking that he's going to meet this person someday and he's just lost. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. But, you know, he's out of most of our lives. Most of us don't see him. But he reached out to my mom one day and he asked for money. And he said, if you give me this money, I'm going to triple it or I'm going to 10 times it because this person I know is going to invest it and get me all this money back. And, uh, we already knew it was a scam and he just didn't. So my mom said, I'm not going to give you any money. And so he said, well, ask Paul, ask Paul if he can lend me some money or give me some money. And um, my mom already knew the answer, but she said, you know, he said, 
he wanted to know if you could give him money. And by this moment, I'm already laughing <laughs> when he said, because I'm not going to give him money for this stuff. I wouldn't give him money for almost anything because he just is not good with money. He makes poor decisions. And I really don't have a relationship with him anymore anyway. So to bring me up is just a resource he was trying to tap that he doesn't really have access to. But he asked, and uh, we both said no. So I think she emailed him back. And then uh, he wrote back and said some really awful things. I don't even remember what he said, but he called my mom names. He called me, I don't know, a loser. It's just everything that proved that all he wanted to do was use us for the money. And when we didn't give him what he wanted, it showed that he really didn't care about us. He just wanted money. But my point about this is that even though I can see that he didn't care about us, he didn't care about me, all he wanted was the money. And when I said no, which is something you do when you honor yourself and people who care about you will want you to honor yourself, he didn't want that at all. He wanted what he wanted. And when he called me names and said all this bad stuff, which he'd never done before, it hurt. I thought, why would he do that? I mean, even when he was at his worst, when I was living with him, when we were all together as a family, he never called me names. He never put me down or insulted me. He was just very scary to be around because when he'd get drunk, he was dangerous and violent. But to hear those words come out of somebody's mouth, somebody I lived with and had known since I was one, I'd lived with him for 20 years, it just hurt. And I thought to myself, I let this guy go like many years ago. I healed from hating him many years ago. I let him go and let him be. And I thought it was done. Why would it hurt if he called me a name? The most basic answer I came up with is it just hurts. It just hurts because when you try to be nice, when you try to be kind, when you try to do the right thing, and still someone sees you as a bad person or calls you a bad name, the first thing that comes to mind is that you are being excluded. You are being pushed out of a social circle as if you were worthless. And when somebody says something that makes you feel worthless and makes you feel excluded, it really hits at some core issues inside yourself. It really touches on that self-worth and feelings of being loved and fears of being alone and fears of rejection and abandonment. All of those can be in all of us at some level. And I think most of our lives, we're working on healing that about ourselves so that we can fledge the nest or something. We can go out on our own without any reliance on external validation or fear of somebody else's judgment or opinions about us, I think that's just a constant work in progress. Because, you know, I've been on the air for almost seven, eight years now. As of this recording, I've been on the air for about eight years. And whenever I see a critical or even hateful review of my show, it still hurts. <laughs> it's just, it hits you at your core. I think there's a primal fear that we carry inside of us that if we are not liked 
if we feel like we are being excluded or pushed out of some sort of social structure that we'll feel so alone and at some level think we're going to die. That's how deep I think this stuff goes. So that's sort of my philosophical perspective and maybe physiological perspective of how deep this can go when somebody calls you a name, especially somebody who brought you into the world and is supposed to be mom or dad. When somebody treats you like that and you interpret their actions or their words as you being worthless or unlovable, first thing you have to do is evaluate that to discover how worthy you feel in yourself. And this is where it gets into the difference between uh, self-esteem and self-worth. Self-worth is how your parents make you feel. I feel worthy because they just complimented my crayon drawing on the wall. <laughs> if you did that and they said, you know, that's a lovely drawing, but you know, we got to wash it off, but it's so wonderful. <laughs> You're such a good artist. That's going to make you feel worthy. Self-esteem is what self-worth turns into. So self-worth is something you gain in childhood. I mean, this is sort of my own perspective on self-worth and self-esteem. Self-worth is what you gain in childhood from your role models, from your parents, your caretakers, and it's how you see yourself through their eyes. And then self-esteem is how you see yourself through your own eyes, but it often originates from self-worth. And we have to make the transition from seeing ourselves through their eyes to seeing ourselves through our own eyes, which is why it's so important that you practice self-compassion, self-love, self-care, self-everything as if you were your own best healthy parent. That's the transition that is very hard to make for a lot of people that I work on myself. Because as soon as somebody criticizes me, I'm seeing myself through their eyes instead of my own eyes. And when you can make that jump into yourself, into looking at yourself through your own eyes, and you feel damn good about yourself, that's when it stops affecting you. It is a big leap into a different way of being and feeling. And I am able to do it myself most of the time. And uh, when I can't, I eventually do it. So if somebody criticizes me, uh, it might hurt. But then I think about it. I think about the source. I think about maybe they're dysfunctional or toxic. And then I remember, man, I've been really good. I, I've considered myself a catch up to this point. But now somebody puts me down and it's some drunk guy that has been abusive all my life. Uh, I'm probably not going to consider him a credible source. You know, the logic will kick in, but then your emotions kick back in and you think, well, maybe they're right. Because, you know, when we feel bad about somebody's criticism, there's usually a little bit of that belief inside of us as well. Like if somebody says we're stupid, if you feel at all stupid or incompetent inside yourself, you might take it to heart. That's when you take things personally, is when you have some small belief that's still in there. Even if you can't see it or aren't conscious of it, if it's in there, then you'll probably be affected the way uh, Samantha is talking about here. She says she's not taking things personally, yet when her mom says something or blames her for something, she's taking it personally. It hurts. 
and she doesn't want her to do that and she doesn't want to take it personally. She doesn't want to feel it at her core because she wants to know she's accepted. She wants to know she's loved or, you know, I'm making some guesses here, but this is my advice for you, Samantha, is to definitely work on your self-compassion, your self-care and something I said just a few minutes ago, see yourself as a healthy, amazing person so that when somebody tries to put you down, you'll go from their eyes to your own eyes and then see yourself as the person that is doing the best they can. You know, there is some ego involved here. I talk about building a healthy ego in other episodes. And when you do that and you say things to yourself like, hey, I'm a great catch. Anyone would be lucky to have me in their life. It sounds egoistic. It sounds like you're building yourself up and you're become some narcissistic, hard-to-be-with person. But what happens is if you're already low in your self-worth or self-esteem, filling that ego helps to rebuild where you are experiencing the most deficit. Building a healthy ego. You know what? I'm great. I'm smart. I can do all this stuff. You know, consider them affirmations if you want. I like to just say it once and believe it. (laughs) I might have trouble believing it, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know what? I'm a great guy. I'm a great catch. And if you can't see that, that's your problem. That might be something I say to myself. I probably wouldn't say it that fast. I would kind of sit there and absorb it. But if my self-esteem and my self-worth were low, this helps rebuild that. And I talked about another episode where I bought a muscle car when I was a teenager and I was so insecure as a teenager. But after I bought that muscle car, man, my insecurity went away. I just felt so good. People were looking at me. I was in the spotlight and I felt good about myself for the first time in a long time. And when I felt good about myself, I didn't have these fears anymore. I just walked around in confidence and I was somehow smart enough to not let it get to my head. I had the car for a while and then I sold it and then I got some station wagon, something else, and I was back to regular cars, but I kept the feeling. And that's what I mean is that when you are in deficit of self-worth and self-esteem, you can start to build your ego. You know, there are many ways to build your ego. You can, I don't know, show off, get good at a (laughs) yo-yo. (laughs) buy things that are better than the neighbors, but you don't let it get to your head where you make someone else feel bad. And this is where you find the balance between a healthy ego and egotistical is that you stop at the point where you want to put someone else down or make them feel bad or inferior, but you feel good in yourself. Like when I had the muscle car, it felt really good to be driving around in something I could be proud of. But I wasn't going around saying, ha ha, you have a terrible car and I have a muscle car. If I had felt that way, then that would have been egotistical and just mean. So that's what I mean is you get to that point in yourself where you inflate the ego in a healthy way. And I probably shouldn't use the word inflate, more like build your ego in a healthy way so that you get to the point where you feel good in yourself about yourself. And that's the first part of this for you, Samantha, is that I want you to start working on feeling good about yourself so that when these insults or whatever she's doing comes your way, they will be less personal. And you will be able to identify the source as someone who is incapable of saying nice things or loving you in a healthy way. 
because she's clearly not healthy if she can't treat you like a mother should treat a daughter, quite frankly. She's clearly not healthy. So there's something going on there where either she needs to get help or you need to get away. Or this other thing that I'm going to direct you, this is the other part of my response to you, is that um, this is something I talked about in the bullying episode. A long time ago, I made an episode on bullying and intimidation and the things people do to try to make you feel fear or inferior or all the other things that your mom may be doing to you is that um, in order to squash the energy coming your way when they have this intent to make you feel bad or make you feel guilty, which is definitely emotionally abusive behavior, one thing you can do to help squash the energy coming your way whenever she's being hurtful, whenever she tries to make you feel bad or feel guilty, is to go along with her reality. And this is something that I've recommended people do when they're dealing with somebody that has Alzheimer's or dementia or or something where their memory has faded and their reality is different than yours. Sometimes the best approach is to step into their world and validate their beliefs. I know you said that your sister said that you're looking for validation. Uh, It's possible that's in there, but I'm not even going to address that. That's possible. Yes. But it sounds like you know that well enough where I don't have to address that. You know about projecting. You know about issues. You probably have been reading about this stuff. So I don't even think that's necessary to address because what I'm going to tell you to do is going to be another way to deal with this and handle this and work through it in a way that will be a little bit uh, twisted, (laughs) a little different, a little twisted. But I've found it uh, quite useful with certain people. And like I said, uh, people with Alzheimer's and also people that might be mean or they're not willing to change and they're going to continue to be hurtful and just want to put you down, want to put you in your place. And I certainly don't like to jumble those two things together. Like people with Alzheimer's, they have a condition, they can't help it. But um, narcissistic people that want to put you down, she may or may not be diagnosable. I don't know. But here's the approach that I would take with both kinds of people, not that you asked about Alzheimer's, but you enter their model of reality. You enter their world. So the person with Alzheimer's, let's just say it's your dad. Your dad has Alzheimer's and when you come in, he doesn't know who you are. Instead of taking that personally, how would you respond to someone who just met you for the first time? Because to him, that's the first time he's met you. And so you have to treat it that way every time, even if it's every five minutes. That's tough. It's very tough because when you're not getting what you need from someone you care about and they can't remember who you are or they have different memories or maybe they think you're someone else, stepping into that reality helps them cope, helps them feel not so confused all the time, helps them be happier. And you know what? This this is just my personal opinion. I'm not giving you this as medical advice. If you receive advice from somebody else, a caretaker uh, or a doctor on doing something differently, absolutely take their advice. My approach personally is when somebody has trouble with their memory and they have an entire different reality than you do, then joining their reality helps them feel better. It may not solve the problem. It may not be 
the real reality. It may not be truth at all, but it makes them feel more comfortable and maybe even be able to relate to you and also maybe be able to help them connect with truths that are still in there for them. So that's Alzheimer's. And again, that's not my professional advice. That's just a personal opinion on that. With the hurtful person, the offensive person, the abusive person, the bullier, the intimidator, you can do the same thing by entering their model of reality. And what you do is you actually agree with what they're saying. And that might mean putting yourself down, but not through your own eyes, through their eyes. And this can actually do a couple of things. And it's pretty interesting what can happen, psychologically speaking. Let's just say that your mom said, you're a big failure at everything you do. Let's just say that she generalized your whole life and said something really crazy like that, which is probably not so crazy for some people. They'll say things like this. You're such a big failure. You've been a failure in everything your entire life. The way to squash that negative energy that has all this forward momentum toward you is to become agreeable with it. I'm not telling you that you should do this. This is one of those, if you want to experiment and see what happens, you can try it and let me know. <laughs> but it is a way to squash negative energy because the only way this type of negativity survives is it requires resistance. Resistance fuels the negativity of others. You have to resist. You have to hate it. You have to feel bad. You have to feel guilty. So when you have this negative energy coming at you, the bullying, the intimidating, the making you feel bad or guilty, if you cry, if you run away, if you defend yourself, if you explain yourself saying, no, that's not true. This is what I do. This is how I'm trying and I've succeeded here and I've succeeded there. If you do any of that, it strengthens their position. It keeps them in a place of power. I'm only talking about certain people. There are certain people where you can say, no, I have succeeded here and here. And they'll say, oh, you're right. Sorry about that. But anyone who says you're a failure everywhere in your life or you've failed in everything, they're probably not going to concede. They're not going to pull back and say, oh, oh, sorry about that. They're not going to do it. They have an agenda. They want to make you feel bad and they're looking for your resistance. Your resistance gives them power. It is fuel for their fiery vitriol. They don't want to be put out. They want to be ignited. And the way you ignite them is you disagree and you cry and you run away and you do take it personally. But the way to squash that energy is to step into their model of reality and become agreeable, but in a way that you own it. And that's the important part. You become agreeable in a way that you own it. And like I said, I can't believe I'm giving you this suggestion because it's something that's very hard to do and is untrue about you. And what I mean by that is they're going to say something bad about you that you're going to disagree with. It is untrue and you know it, but I'm telling you to agree with them to squash the energy and you have to do it in a certain way. So here's the way I would do it myself. If my mom was emotionally abusive like yours is and she said, you've been a failure all your life. Everything you've done is a failure. I would say you are an 
absolutely right. I have tried everything. Remember that job I took? I only lasted six months. Remember that girl I dated? You are so right. You are so right. And I would start bringing up all the failures in my life before she did. Because if she brings them up, she has the power. She has the control. She has the reins. But if you bring them up and you own them and you acknowledge them and there's no negativity in your voice and you're saying, oh, yeah, I failed so much. It's so hard to believe I'm still alive. (laughs) I failed so much. You almost turn it into a game for yourself. And this is very hard to do if you're looking for love and support and all this stuff that a mom should give you. You're not getting that from her and you probably won't. But like I said, it causes two things. One, you squash the negative energy because they're trying to use your, in this example, your failure against you. But if you make it a part of you and it's something that you own and that you have no problem being a failure, they can't use it against you anymore. They can't make you feel bad about it anymore. How can they use something against you that you don't feel bad about? That's like saying, you're such a success. I can't believe you're such a success. You should be ashamed of yourself. It doesn't make any sense. It's cognitive dissonance. It doesn't make any sense. So for them to say something bad about you and you own it and you agree with them and you make light of it and you even acknowledge all the times that they've been right about that. You know, I failed here. I failed here. Oh my God, you're so right. I failed so much. I can't believe I'm alive. There might be a little hint of sarcasm in there, but I don't really want you to show that sarcasm. I actually want you to try to be serious about this, even though what they're saying is probably 100% false and just meant to hurt you. So that's one aspect of this. The other aspect of doing this, besides squashing the energy that's coming at you, is psychologically what's going to happen is that because they can't use this stuff against you anymore, they're going to have fewer and fewer negative things to say about you and think about you. And when that happens, their brain fog might start lifting a little bit. And they actually might come to the realization that they're always hurtful and it might take them out of their trance. There's a slim chance of this, but it might actually take them out of this haze they've been in the whole time of needing to be mean to protect themselves or some old coping or survival mechanism like I talked about with the healed being program. You you bring in these old coping or survival mechanisms into your adult life because you learned them in childhood because maybe your mom was like that. Maybe your dad was like that. You know, it gets passed down through the generations and then they treat you that way. But what happens is you start agreeing with them and when there's no resistance and the fog starts lifting for them and psychologically they're shifting and they don't know how else to think, they might start to access some healthier thoughts. I know this is a mind game. I know it's a manipulation. I consider it an ethical manipulation. But it is still influencing them to shift their thoughts and their perspective. But you're doing it in a way that helps them come to a place inside themselves where they can choose to stop hurting you. Because some people are in what I would call a trance where 
they believe that in order to survive in life, they have to be mean to others, especially before they're mean back to them. If they're mean back to them, their insecurities are going to kick in and they're going to buckle. They won't be able to handle it. This is why some people are mean. They're so insecure in themselves that they won't be able to handle you being mean to them. So they live their life being mean to you. But what ends up happening is that every time they're mean to you and you're not resistant, which is always what they're looking for because they need reinforcement that they're doing the right thing. Aha, they resisted. Therefore, I'm safe because now they're defending themselves. They're explaining themselves. I don't have to worry about myself because I just prevented any attacks coming back at me, which sometimes works against them, as you know. But when there's no resistance and you start agreeing and they can't find a way to put you down or make you feel bad or insulted, they have no choice at all but to face themselves again. And it might take a while because they find different ways to hurt you and they will eventually find that button. They, this is something that will happen. Samantha, your mom will eventually find the right button where you lose it. That's what they do. They're going to dig and dig and dig until they find it. And I want you to stay strong. In fact, I want you to bring up that button. Bring it up before she does. Again, I'm not telling you you should do any of this. It's just something I would do. And it involves knowing that you're great and sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. It involves you believing in yourself and having a strong enough ego so that when she says things, you don't buckle under pressure. You don't cry. You don't scream. You don't try to explain that she's wrong. You don't defend yourself. You don't go into that at all. And you squash the energy that's coming at you. And when that happens with people like that, they're going to try harder. I mean, that's, that's typically what happens. They're going to try harder. They're going to dig deeper. And I highly recommend that if you have anything that you're worried about her bringing up, that you bring it up first. If she has brought it up before, you should bring it up first because she's going to dig deeper and push that proverbial knife in even more and start twisting it. And I'm sorry for that picture, but this is what's going to happen is she's going to start digging more. So if you do what I'm saying that I would do, that's what's going to happen. But this does eventually fall apart because that strategy she's trying to use on you won't work anymore. She's going to try to make you feel bad and it's not going to work and she won't know what to do. And when you're prepared and you show no resistance and you even welcome it and own it, it can change everything. And I know that's going to be hard. And you may even say, I don't want to do it, Paul. I don't want to do it. And if you can't do that, then no contact may be the best thing you can do because that's accountability. And that's the, the final thing I'll say about this. Sometimes you just have to show that there is accountability for someone's bad behavior. And, um, you know, I've talked about that a lot. You just tell somebody that when they say or do what they're saying, it makes me feel bad. It hurts me. And then you ask, could you please stop doing it? And if they say no, or they keep doing it, then you have to say, well, since you won't stop doing that, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Sometimes the basics are the best way to go and the fastest, <laughs> but sometimes you don't want to lose connection for whatever reason. There are family connections, family ties that make things difficult and Family is the final frontier of personal growth. <laughs> it is often the biggest challenge in the world. So, Samantha, thank you so much for writing. Thank you so much for sharing this. 
if you do happen to be trying to seek validation from this toxic person in your life, you may not get it until she feels safe enough not to be mean to you. That may never happen. And I know what I just said is, is a loaded statement, but most mean people don't feel safe in the world, which is why they're mean. They make sure that you are constantly busy defending yourself, explaining yourself. You are in that submissive position where you can't hurt them. They stay in the power position of being able to hurt you. And as long as they're in that position, you may never ever see their vulnerable side, which loves you and cares about you and supports you. And the method I described today may get you there. It may. I can't promise anything, but I wanted to share that with you and give you an explanation for some of the behavior in case it helps. Thanks so much for writing. I hope this helps anyone that's listening. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you. We'll be right back. I'll say my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I appreciate you tuning in. I am actually on vacation as this show records, so assume that I'm enjoying myself. I hope I'm enjoying myself. I'm sure I'm enjoying myself. And if I'm not, it's because maybe my stepfather showed up (laughs) because I'm on vacation up north. But if he did, I hope I practice what I preach. And let me just share this. Sometimes you know exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it. You can listen to this episode over and over again and say, you know what, I'm going to own it. I'm going to own all my failures. And when they show up, I'm not going to give them a chance to take my power away. I'm just going to show them that uh, I'm okay with all the failures that I did in my life and everything's going to be great after that because I'll keep my power. And then they show up and you see their face or you hear their voice and suddenly you're that little child again suddenly you're in that fear mode or you're in conflict or struggle inside yourself and you think, oh no, I, I can't do this. This is crazy. What What's going to happen? Well, I've been in this place where you ask yourself, what will happen if I do this? What will happen if I speak up for myself? What will happen if I honor myself or honor my values? I think it's important to ask yourself the one question I always ask myself whenever I'm faced with a challenge like this is if I had no fear of the consequences, what would I do or say then? And then I come up with an answer, and that is my truth. That is your truth. When you ask yourself that question, that is your truth. doesn't mean I always follow it. It doesn't mean I absolutely have to act on the truth that comes up for me. It just reminds me of what I would do if I had no fear. And when you walk around without fear you get to live authentically. It's hard to walk around without fear. I'm not going to lie about that, but sometimes it's important that you step out of fear mode. And that's what I like to do. I like to ask myself that question. If I had no fear of the consequences, what would I do or say then? And I also like to act before I think about the consequences. (laughs) I'm not giving you this as advice. I'm just saying that when you're ready to take the next step and You're not around a violent person because you have to pick your battles wisely, but 
when you're ready to stand up for yourself and feel good about doing that for yourself, give yourself that gift, you might have to act before thinking of the consequences. And that's dangerous with some people. That could create a lot of problems. That could create some disconnects in family and people in your life that you don't want. Somebody that has kids that you love, they take the kids away from you and you never see them again. That is one of the consequences of doing things that are right for you, that are within your values, within your boundaries. When you honor yourself, other people can make life difficult for you. So that is just a caveat. It's something you have to think about. And I've thought about all this kind of stuff over and over again, and I've learned that it's better to honor myself and take that chance than to compromise my character and my integrity over and over again. So that's just where I stand with that. I just wanted to share that with you. It is difficult that even when you have the empowerment tools that I talk about here or other things that you've learned, it's sometimes difficult to implement them. And it's okay. Because as long as you're thinking about it, as long as you know your truth, then someday you'll be ready to express that truth in a way that empowers you and doesn't allow other people to take your power. So, just wanted to mention that really quick. And let me thank some people as well. The patrons of the week, I usually read their names, but on vacation right now, so I'm recording this ahead of time, so I don't have all the new names yet. But I'm going to thank everyone that financially supports this show. I call them patrons or patrons of the week because I read different names every week. I am grateful for you patrons. Thank you so much. If you are interested in supporting the show, you can go to moretob.com and check out your options there. I am grateful for everyone that supports the show. They are the backbone of this podcast and we keep going because they are so giving and it warms my heart. Thank you patrons. And I also want to thank anyone that gives to the show, that donates or anything like that. I am also grateful for you. Thank you so much. You can also do that at moretob.com. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And to close the show, I want to thank one more person. Her name's Tammy. I'm not going to read anything that Tammy wrote me because it's very personal. Um, But I do want to thank her for sharing her story with me. She wrote to me and she shared her story with me because she said that she hasn't been able to write down her thoughts since childhood because somebody saw what she wrote once and um, they gave her a hard time about it. So she had all these personal thoughts and somebody just came along and put her down for them and she felt like she couldn't express herself in that way anymore because it was unsafe. And then she had a series of terrible relationships and she had to go through a lot of healing and growth. And I just want to let you know, Tammy, I read that. It brought a tear to my eye, but a happy tear because it ended with you being in a wonderful relationship where you listen to each other and you feel good. It sounds like you're in a better place and you have a lot of healing to do. And you said you're listening to the show and you're learning a lot about yourself. So I am just so grateful that you took an opportunity to write that to me because after all these years of not writing down and expressing what you're going through in life and what you have gone through in life, to be the recipient of that message uh, was very touching to me. So thank you. And I'm so happy that you're in a better position now and that you have a lot of wisdom in you right now. You have a lot of experience 
that led to your wisdom today, and I'm sure you will continue to get wiser and wiser. I found that every 10 years I get a little bit wiser. Doesn't mean I stop making mistakes, but <laughs> I get a little wiser because uh, I make those mistakes. I need the experience to get wiser. And so that's a neat thing that happens as you grow older, if you're open to it, if you're willing to look at all your experiences as lessons that you can take with you so that you can learn what not to do next time and what to do next time. I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned in life is that uh, very much like Tammy, like I really held back how I really felt about things. I never talked about my life, all the personal tragedies that I went through. And I mean, I have a podcast now and that's what I talk about a lot, but that's different than the way I lived my life, which was very much private. It was very much uh, me not wanting the world to know, or even my inner world, my, my closest friends and family, not wanting them to know that anything was wrong. I never wanted anyone to think that anything was wrong. I wanted them to think my life was perfect. I remember working somewhere in the early 90s and the manager of another department comes over and he goes, you know what? I'm sick of you. You're always smiling. Everything's perfect in your life. I'm always stressed and you're always smiling like nothing's wrong. And I just smiled and I said, well, that's my life. I take things easily and I'm not stressed. And part of that was true. But the other part of it was all the resentment I was holding in, all the anger and all the other unexpressed emotions that uh, were still in there that took a long time to get out and came out in other destructive ways. I was very passive aggressive. I was very manipulative. I wanted things my way and I wanted to control things and nobody knew that about me at work. They just thought I was a stress-free guy walking around and nothing bothered me. I think it's important to watch out for people where nothing bothers them. <laughs> I say this at risk because I'm in a better place right now where not much bothers me, but there are still things that bother me, and that's normal, of course. There, There's always something that bothers you, especially, you know, the heinous things that people do in the world. That bothers me, of course, but then there's personal stuff that happens, and that bothers me too. Um, I think it's just a matter of being able to fall down and get back up faster. I think that's what makes us wiser is learning how to get up faster. So that's what I've learned over the years to get up faster, not because I'm just going to get up and shake it off, but I have learned that the worst things that happen in life aren't as bad as I make them out to be most of the time. That doesn't mean everything's like that, but most of the things that happen in life usually aren't as bad as we make them out to be. Sometimes they are. And sometimes we have the appropriate reaction, but sometimes they aren't. And we just have to pick and choose what we're going to keep our focus on and keep stressing about, especially when there may be nothing we can do about it. That's one of the things I was able to heal from is knowing when to let go. Like not having closure on something. That's something that a lot of people deal with. So I created episodes on obsession. I would highly recommend you go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and look up the word obsess if you need closure on something and you can't get it. So-and-so lied to me and he never told me why he lied to me and I want to know. You may need closure and I've learned to say, you know what, that person's a liar and that's my closure. 
there's nothing I can do about it. I shouldn't take it personally because that person lies. I can't look at a bird and say, why does it fly? It just flies. That animal flies. That person lies. Those flies buzz in my face because they're bugs. <laughs> so there's all kinds of things you can look at and say, that's just what they are and who they are. That's great closure for me. So when I can't think of why something happened or I need a reason for something, I just break it down to that's what it is, that's who they are, and there's nothing I can do about it. And I mark the box with the check mark and I move on. It's not always that easy, and I'm not saying it works for every single thing in the world, but I think um, walking around with unfinished business, that lack of closure, is one of the things that often keeps us in a very limited emotional space. I, I think we can expand who we are when we're not walking around with, with what I would call open loops. When you find closure, you close the loop. When you're walking around with open loops, life just isn't as enjoyable as it can be. That's why it's important sometimes to close these loops, to find the closure. And sometimes you have to ask people, why did you lie to me in 1972? I would like to know. And maybe they'll tell you and maybe they won't and maybe you'll never get an answer to something like that. And if that's the case, check the box and move on. Just accept that you'll never have it and it's just the way they are and there's nothing you can do about it. I wish it was that easy for everything, but it's not and I understand that. But what can I say? I'm just giving you some of the things that worked for me and I hope they work for you too. And if they don't... Just remember, always keep an open mind. This is what helps you step into your power so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.